The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. Today's message is the first half of a sermon preached by Elder Ronald Lawrence at the annual meeting of Zion Primitive Baptist Church held on March 19, 2022. In this afternoon sermon, Brother Ronald deals with the question of thankfulness. He takes us to the account in Luke chapter 17 where 10 lepers were cleansed, but only one came back to thank him, and he was a Samaritan. Samaritans weren't accepted by the Jews. They weren't friendly toward the Jews, nor were the Jews friendly toward them. And yet it was this Samaritan who was the only one to come back and give God thanks. In this first half of the message, Brother Ronald deals with this account and sets forth some principles that we need to learn about being thankful to God. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
this afternoon, I'd like to look at uh, something that took place in the life of Christ. It's found in Luke chapter 17, beginning verse 11. Luke 17, verse 11. It says here, when the Lord Jesus Christ went into Jerusalem, he passed through Samaria, through the midst of Samaria and Galilee, and he came into a certain village. Now, the animosity between Jews and Samaritans was so great that Jewish people who were on the north Except up in Galilee that wanted to come down to Jerusalem, Judea, or vice versa, generally speaking, they would not go through Samaria. They would take a detour and come around with the Mediterranean Sea that way, or they'd take a detour and cross Jordan's River and come around that way. They just wouldn't pass through. So that makes it very significant when you read in John chapter 4, where it says, for he must, talking about Jesus, for he must needs go through Samaria. Uh, on that occasion, he had an appointment with a woman in Samaria at Jacob's well. An appointment that she kept, even though she did not know she had the appointment. Jesus knew who she was, what her situation was, and Jesus intended to meet her there at Jacob's well. Here we find where the Lord went into Jerusalem, he passed through Samaria and Galilee and into a certain village. And when he did, he was met by ten lepers. Now, during the daily activities of Christ, he was always busy teaching, he was always busy preaching, he was always busy uh, performing miracles, etc., etc. And he oftentimes was met, of course, with individuals. Sometimes it was just one. Sometimes it was two. In this case, it's ten. Sometimes there's a great multitude. But it didn't matter to the Lord how many he interacted with, how many he met. Whatever their needs were, he was able to supply it. That's like kind of preaching the gospel. You know, when the gospel is preached, and the minister of the gospel is blessed to preach it, it'll satisfy the hunger and thirst of one, or 10, or 100, or 500. It doesn't matter. The gospel meal will be sufficient. It'll be adequate. There'll be plenty of it to take care of all the needs of however how many it is that's on the sound of that particular gospel message. So Jesus entered into a certain village and this village, I believe, is right on the border of Samaria and Judea. And he was met by ten lepers. That obviously meant they had leprosy. And they cried out unto the Lord, and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And it says they cried, not just one of them or two of them, but it said they, uh, to me it comes across uh, as they all spoke as one. They all uh, had leprosy. As we'll find out later, there were nine Jews and, and one Samaritan. And they normally they didn't mix together, but if you had leprosy, what difference did it make? Right. If you had leprosy, uh, those who had leprosy are oftentimes referred to as the walking dead. The disease of leprosy was severe. Uh, it uh, was something that no one obviously wanted to get. It caused deformity um, it caused great pain, great suffering, physically, mentally, emotionally. Uh, it caused separation. Uh, they would have to be separated out. Um, and that means they were separated from family, separated from friends, uh, separated, you know, from their, uh, their villages, etc. And so they were often grouped together. Uh, you're reading the book of Leviticus in chapters 13 and 14, where the Lord devoted a great deal of information for Israel and for us to read and study about leprosy. 
And one of the jobs of the priest, in addition to offerings and sacrifice he would make, if someone had a discoloration in their skin or some skin problem, they'd be brought to the priest, and the priest would examine that individual to determine if he had leprosy or not. And so he would examine the, the affected area. If the hair in that affected area turned white and was deeper than the skin, then he'd pronounce him unclean. He had leprosy, and he'd have to be separated. And leprosy is a picture of sin in a lot of different ways. Um, that leprosy would also spread, and it would defile. And that's what sin is. See, sin is a lot deeper than just the surface. And a lot of people just don't see it that way. They just think sin's not that big a deal. It's not that you know, significant or whatever. But sin is serious. It's very serious. And so man's depravity is inside out and outside in from head to toe and toe to head. Uh, the heart is affected. You know, Psalms 14.1 says, The fool has said in his heart that there is no God. Oh, in fact, that's repeated in Psalms 53.1. And then in Romans 8 and 7, Paul says, The carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be, so it affects his mind, his thinking. And then the Lord told some Jews in John 5.40, You will not come unto me. We spoke about that not disease this morning that man by nature has. But I just use these three to show how uh, sin affects the mind, the thinking, affects the heart and the feeling, and uh, it, it affects the will of man, Amen. the inner man, the will of man. And then sin spreads. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. Now, when you're around the wrong kind of people, it's going to affect you. It's going to influence you. It's going, it's going to rub off on you. You know, if you got a bushel of apples and one rotten apple, I never have known the good apples to reverse the rotten apple's uh, condition. It, it's rotten, isn't it? But I tell you what, that rotten apple, it'll soon cause the rest of those apples to start going bad. Uh, Solomon tells us in, uh, I believe it's Proverbs 13 and 20, that um, he that walketh wise men shall be wise but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. And I've tried to tell my family that, my children that, and, um, and the Lord's people that. You know, you know, you need to be careful who you choose to walk with. You need to be sure to choose the right kind of friends that share your values, that share your goals, uh, that, you know, have the same um, ideas of how to live as you have been taught by your parents and by your pastor in the, in the church where you've been raised up in because a companion of fools shall be destroyed when you read verses like this in the bible uh it means what it says <laughs> it doesn't say it was a high percentage a high degree of probability that you might be destroyed you know no he says you shall be destroyed and he that walketh wise men that hears the words of wise men that watches the conduct of wise men um you know, they shall be wise. If you want to be wise, hang around wise people. Uh, you know, there's several ways to get wisdom. James tells us if any man lack wisdom, uh, let him ask him God, who giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not. And Paul wrote to Timothy, and he says, concerning the Scriptures, they are able to make thee wise unto salvation. So study the Scriptures, uh, praying for wisdom, and walking with wise people will make you a wiser person. And that's always good. <laughs> I can assure you that is, that is always good. And so we find these men here 
uh, meet the Lord Jesus Christ, they're lepers. Now, leprosy, again, is a picture of sin. It goes deeper than just the surface. It spreads and it defiles. Uh, it will defile you. Um, and, it will also, uh, and in the case of these lepers, even their clothes had to be burned. That was how serious it was, you see. But in the 14th chapter, the next chapter, we find the law, the cleansing of the leper. And we find when a leper was to be cleansed, he was come back to the priest. The priest would examine him. And if he had been healed, uh, then there was a process they went through. And they would take uh, two living birds. And one of those birds was to be slain in an earthen vessel overrun in water. And then they were to take uh, the other bird, um, the living bird, and some hyssop and cedar wood and scarlet and dip it in the blood of the slain bird. And then that bird was to be let go and he would fly away. And I think that's a picture of what happened uh, with us when Christ died for us on the cross. It required a death. It required some shedding of blood. And because Christ laid down his life, because he made a perfect offering sacrifice to the Father, that all those whom he died for, that he represented, had been set free. We're like that living bird, you know. And what a day that must have been for that cleansed leper. And then he was to take the blood, the priest would take the blood, and he would sprinkle it upon the leper to be cleansed seven times. And seven in the scripture is a number of completion and perfection. And so it's the law of cleansing. There's a lot more in those, those two chapters you can go and read. I just kind of hit the high spot on that. But if you notice leprosy, uh, the word cleanse is associated with leprosy, where the word healing is associated with other miracles. Now, a man who was cleansed of his leprosy, he, he was healed. And the Lord's people, we're told in Isaiah chapter 53, by the stripes of the Lord Jesus Christ, by his stripes, ye are healed. But the word cleanse actually is used more frequently uh, to teach us a lesson about our deliverance from sin and our salvation. When the Lord Jesus Christ gave his gospel ministers, apostles, the first gospel commission is found in Matthew chapter 10. He tells them where to go, where not to go. They were to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. They were not to go to the Gentiles or the way of the Samaritans. And I might just say this in passing. For those who believe that the gospel is essential uh, in terms of eternal salvation, then for about three and a half years, the Lord ignored the Gentiles. The Lord ignored the Gentiles and the Samaritans. The gospel was preached primarily, almost exclusively, to the Jewish people themselves. So for three and a half years, Gentiles and Samaritans did not have the benefit of gospel preaching like the Jewish people did. So that was our commission. He says, as you go forth, he says, heal the sick and cleanse the lepers raise the dead, and cast out devils. You notice the different expressions for this. Heal the sick, but cleanse the lepers. In the 11th chapter of Matthew, John the Baptist is in prison, and John got very discouraged. And I can remember reading this passage so many years ago and thinking, why, why would John get so discouraged and ask this question? Is this the Christ or should we look for another? Because he was a forerunner of Christ. Uh, he came and he baptized the Lord Jesus Christ. When he baptized him, baptized him, heaven opened up. The Spirit of God descended upon him, the body form and shape of a dove. And a voice rang out saying, this is my beloved son. Here, uh, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. I mean, look at the experiences that John had. He pointed him out in John 1.29 as the Lamb of God. 
Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He knew that Jesus was the Messiah. He knew Jesus was the anointed one. But when he put, was put in prison for doing nothing wrong but just calling Herod on the carpet for having his brother's wife, he was put in prison, and he, this is the message he sent out. Now, I wouldn't be too hard on John <laughs> because I've had too many experiences myself. You know, too many things that should never allow me to doubt, should uh, uh, never allow me to question anything about the Lord. But being human as we are and weak and frail and these kind of things, we find ourselves in situations sometimes where we might not say it out loud, but we might just think it. And as far as the Lord's concerned, that's just like saying it out loud because he knows exactly what you think. You might hide it from people, but you can't hide it from the Lord, you see. But the Lord sent back a message. He said, go and you tell John these things are happening. You tell John that the blind see. You tell John that the deaf hear. You tell John that the lepers are cleansed. You tell John that the dead are raised back to life and the lame walk. And then the sixth thing you tell John is the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now we notice here, this is a, this is a, a list of miracles, right? And notice the last thing, he says, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. I don't think that's in there by mistake. Uh, it takes a miracle to preach the gospel. It takes a miracle for you to hear the gospel, enjoy the gospel, rejoice in the gospel, receive the gospel, and believe the gospel message. It takes a miracle of grace in your heart to begin with to change your heart, raise you from a state of death and sin to a state of life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And no man by nature itself can preach the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. He must have a divine call and then he must have the presence of the Spirit of God to enable him to be able to take God's word, to explain it, to teach it, to preach it, to expound upon it and to declare it. And then it find a lodging place in your heart, have an impact in your life I tell you, that just doesn't happen apart from the Spirit of God and the, and the wonderful works of God's grace. So he says, you go back and tell John these things. He, he didn't rebuke John. He didn't scold John. He sent back this message of these things that's been happening. And John, uh, yes, that, that was letting John know, yes, I am the Messiah, John. <laughs> I'm the one that you were looking for. I'm the one you identified earlier as the, the Lamb of God. I am he. But again, the lepers were to be cleansed. Now, in Ephesians 5, 25 and 26, Paul says to husbands, Husband, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, husbands, that's not a suggestion. <laughs> that's not just good advice. I can assure you it's good advice. <laughs> I can assure you that. <laughs> but that is a commandment, <laughs> okay? <laughs> that is a command. A lot of people take God's commandments as uh, a list of recommendations. <laughs> yeah, that's not what it is. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church. What a tall order that is. He says, then he might sanctify it and cleanse it by the washing of water by the word. See, the Lord's family has been cleansed. Yes, they've been healed by the stripes of Jesus. But you see, they have been cleansed, cleansed. Titus 3 and 5, he says, not the works of righteousness which we've done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us by what? The washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. When you are born of the Spirit, the shed blood of Jesus Christ is applied to your heart and soul, and it washes and cleanses you inwardly by God's wonderful grace. There's a cleansing that must take place. And then there's a practical aspect to the cleansing as well. You know, in James 4, 8, he says, Draw nigh to God, that he might draw nigh to thee. Now, that's the opposite 
of our eternal deliverance. Jesus said in John 6, 44, no man can come to me except the Father which sent me draw him and I'll raise him up again at the last day. But here the text says, draw nigh to God. So he's not talking about somebody dead in sin drawing nigh to God, but you as God's little child, as his children, you can draw nigh to God. Aren't you glad about that? That's something they couldn't do in the Old uh, Testament to Mount uh, Sinai. You know, Mount Sinai, they were told to keep their distance. He says, don't dare touch this mount. When God comes down, there's fire on the mountain, there's darkness, there's tempest, there's quaking, etc. You cannot touch this mount. Not even a beast can touch this mount unless he die. But in Mount Zion, it's different. In Mount Zion, you come into the city of the living God, to the new Jerusalem, you see. And you can draw nigh to God. He says, what will he do? He'll draw nigh to you. Draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. <laughs> and you, Brother Lawrence, did you just call us sinners? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Boy, <laughs> he was coming along pretty strong there, wasn't he? <laughs> but, you know, I read that, I realize I'm reading it for me. <laughs> I'm to cleanse my hands as a sinner. I'm to purify my heart, double-minded. Now, that's all in drawing nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to thee. So here, these ten lepers meet the Lord and Jesus Christ. They're coming to him, right? He meets them here. And what's their message? Or well, their first saying, they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy upon us. The first thing they did was acknowledge him as Jesus. The word Jesus means salvation. What a wonderful name that is. When I hear the name Jesus, I just start feeling better off the bat. If somebody sings about Jesus, reads about Jesus, preaches about Jesus, that starts to lift my spirits right off the bat before they even tell me all about everything else it is. Just to hear the name Jesus. Salvation is what it means there. That's why he was named that. The angel said unto Joseph, Fear not to take unto Mary to be thy wife, that conceived of hers of the Holy Ghost, for she shall bear a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. I say he lived up to his name. Amen. I say he lived up to his name. You know, those three shells, there are three wonderful shells. They say we're, you know, we're called hard shells because we're hard on the shells. Well, that's fine with me. You know, I love the shells. I, I can't get too hard on the shells. And people will um, agree on those first two shells. It's the third shell where we kind of, you know, begin to part ways. Uh, yet everybody agrees he shall be called Jesus. Uh, they all agree about that. But when it says he shall save his people from their sins, then we begin to have a little differences here, you know. I'm just going to take it what it says. It says he has a people, his, his people, and he shall save his people. And the word shall means with ideal, perfect, certainty. It means it cannot fail. Uh, it, it, it means to the, to the nth degree, he shall save his people from their sin. That's how they acknowledge him, as Jesus. But then they say, master. Now, sometimes when you read the word master, it means God. Sometimes you read the master, it means director. Oh, he's certainly my God. And he's certainly my director. But the word master here means commander, commander in chief. They acknowledged him as commander in chief. That's very important, isn't it? Now, I mentioned a while ago, a lot of God's people uh, take God's commands as recommendations, as good advice. You know, it's like, here's a book right here. It could have been called Recommendations by Jesus. I'm sure that's not what it means. The word Bible means uh, bake a construction before leaving earth. See, that's what it means. It's not, yeah, it's a lot stronger than recommendation. It's a lot stronger. I mean, I could not give you any better advice today than to tell you to follow God's commandments. I couldn't give you a stronger recommendation 
than to draw nigh to God. But God's commandments are not recommendations. It is not just good advice. It is command, my friends, by the commander-in-chief himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J. C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.